All right, let's jump into the sermon. Uh, an, an American Psychological Association, the APA, did a survey in 2014. Check this out. 72% of adults feel, uh, reported feeling stressed about money at least some of the time. So like, to, like, look around, look around right now, look at the people around you, look at me, look at the people behind you, out of four people that you just looked at, three of you reported feeling stressed about money at some point. So if you don't feel stressed, um, the other three people you just looked at, they feel stressed. Check this out, uh, more than one in five, 22% said they experience extreme stress about money. Extreme stress about money. The five closest people sitting next to you, one of you is experiencing extreme stress in money. In 2014, the same year, Money Magazine did a survey. They found that 70% of married couples argue about money. 70% of married couples argue about money. You really got to wonder what the other 30% were thinking, but okay. Um, more people argue about money in a marriage than um, household chores, togetherness, intimacy, snoring, and what's for dinner. Number one argument. And some of you are like, man, I got all of those, right? Anybody else? Uh, number one, money. A Princeton study of this year, 2017, says that four out of five Americans have some sort of financial regret. Four out of five. Those five people we looked at, four of them have some sort of financial regret, sizable financial regret in their life. Money problems are a big deal. They're a big deal. And today we are starting a new series, Jesus Economics, The End of Money Problems. Jesus Economics, The End of Money Problems. Now, I, 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 want, I want to like hone you back in here for just a moment, because when I say Jesus Economics, The End of Money Problems, I bet 90% of you heard one of two things. One of you said, oh, finally, we're going to talk about how to get rich. The other portion of you said, oh, gosh, not that kind of pastor. Not that kind of pastor who's going to tell us that all Jesus wants is for us to be rich. Most of you heard one of those two things. About time, Jesus is going to show us how to get rich, or oh boy, this is not one of those kind of churches. That's not where we're going. We're not going to be going down either one of those paths today. What we're going to be talking about is how do we look at money from the perspective of Christ. There is a lot to learn about money, how we see it, how we handle it from the life of Jesus. Because money problems are a big deal. This is something we need to talk about. Your reality is that you have had money problems, you are having money problems, or you will have money problems, or if nothing else, you are surrounded by other people who have money problems, and we need to be able to speak intelligently to those people about what does Christ say about money. Money problems has been a part of my story for sure. Uh, I do something that I call um, shower budgeting. Does anybody here do shower budgeting? You may be wondering, like some of you are like, what in the world is a shower budget? Shower budget is when I go to the mailbox, I get a, a bill, I get an expense, I don't know how to pay for it, so I go take a shower, right? Anybody else? Like, like you're like, okay, I've got about 15 minutes or until hot water runs out to figure out how to pay for this thing. And I've been there, and most of us, we, we've been there. We, we shower budget, and some of us, Honestly, like we're on the flip side of that. Like, man, we're in a good place. More comes in than goes out. But even then, sometimes it can be stressful. It'd be stressful. I mean, the quote, a rapper, more money, more problems. And few of us have also seen that that's true as well. 
But here's the reality. Here's what I know. Um, people like you and me, we do not want to be worried about money. I do know that that is true about you. I know that you do not want to be stressed about money. None of us want to be stressed about money. We do not want to get in arguments with our significant other about money. We want to be generous. We don't want to be stingy. Like, I get that. Like, we all, are, we all fall into that camp. I've never talked to anybody who said, I love arguing with my spouse about money. I love being stingy. I love not being generous. I've never heard anybody say that. And the reality, the reality is that we have these money problems because we found ourselves in these money problems and we're not sure what to do about it. But I would say that for most of us that have some sort of money problem right now, we can usually trace it back to one thing. One reason why we are getting in arguments with our spouses about money can be traced back to something. One reason we're not as generous as we'd like to be is because it can be traced back to this one thing. And that one thing is contentment. It's contentment. Many of us have found ourselves having money problems because we are not content with what we do have or what we do not have. And my objective this morning is to show you that following Jesus leads to contentment. Most of our money problems can be traced back to an issue of contentment. And following Jesus leads to contentment. Could Jesus be the end of your money problems? Today I'll do, I want to make much of Christ. My goal, I only have one goal for every single one of you. Every single one of you, anyone watching online or who watches this video later in the week, uh, my one goal for me is that as we leave today, I want us to see how beautiful Christ is. That's my, that's my one goal. I want every single one of us to see how beautiful Christ is. Because I do know this, if we can see how beautiful Christ is, it will change our hearts. As we behold the beauty of Christ, it melts our hearts and it changes things. And I believe if we can see the beauty of Christ this morning, it will change dramatically our money problems. I believe it could reduce our money problems. And at the very least, I believe it will dramatically reduce how we see and how we handle and how we react to our money problems. Because when you see the beauty of Christ, you cannot unsee it. When you see the beauty of Christ, you can't, you can't unsee that. It changes you. So that's all I want for us today, to be changed by the beauty of Christ. And I believe that as you are changed by the beauty of Christ, you will learn to be content with whatever it is that you do or do not have. And when we find ourselves content with what we do and do not have, we find that our money problems begin to disappear. And I believe for many of us that would be a great thing because most of us, we are sick and tired of being sick and tired over money. We're tired of it. So let's get started. Let's start talking about Jesus, who he is, what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will do for us. Let's jump into our first passage in the scripture. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. If you're looking for a passage of scripture to meditate on this week, this would be an un unbelievable passage of scripture for you to meditate on. Let me read it. Just listen. And let me say something. Uh, sometimes when we're reading a, a block of text like this, the pronouns can kind of trip us up. Like, okay, I'm, I'm sorry, who was the he, who was the it? Well, all right, so, so let me, I, I've replaced the pronouns or most of the pronouns for us. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, 
who though Jesus was in the form of God, Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on Jesus the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When I was about 12 years old, I went over to a friend's house uh, down in South Huntsville, down in English Village. Any English villagers here today? Any? Okay, we, okay, we don't attract English villagers. So I went down to play at a friend's house in English Village. And, and we were playing basketball, this little makeshift basketball court in his, in his backyard, my, my really good friend's backyard. And right next to the basketball court was this beautiful flower garden. I mean, it, it was probably one of the most beautiful uh, flowers I, I, I've ever seen. I, I remember specifically all of these years later, I remember these sunflowers and, and everything. It was just like right at the peak of the season. They were very tall, beautiful. I mean, almost like a, a photo. Absolutely gorgeous. And, and many times when I went over to my friend's house to, to play, I would see uh, his mother working in that garden. She loved that garden. And she did an awesome job of keeping up that garden and keeping it beautiful. And it was really, really remarkable. But then something bad happened. Um, <clears throat> we were playing basketball. In a, a, a moment of youthful idiotness. I don't think that's a word, but you know exactly what I'm talking about. In a moment of youthful idiotness, a basketball was going out of bounds in, a, in, in quite dramatic fashion. I ran for the basketball, and I ended up trampling over the beautiful flower garden. The, like, there's this one scene that's just fried into my head, and it was this beautiful sunflower. I bet, I bet the thing was probably four or five feet tall. And after I was done with it, it had snapped right in the center. So the stalk was like this, and then the flower just like, like, like completely went limp and is now on the ground. It was bad. And I remember my friend, my friend looked me in the eye, and he said, Tim, wait here. Wait here. My friend went into the house. He went to the house, to the little back door. He went to the back door. He opened it. He walked into the house. And as the door was closing behind him, I heard my friend say to his mother, I crushed your flowers. I heard him say that. He said, I crushed your flowers. Once that door finally shut, I have no idea what happened. I do not want to know what happened to my friend. But I know that I was the one that trampled those flowers. And my friend, in one sacrificial act, completely exonerated me of my youthful idiotness. It's unbelievable. He took the punishment for me. That's exactly what Christ has done for us. Isaiah 53, 5. It says, he was pierced for our iniquities. He was crushed for our sin. 
The punishment that led to our peace was upon him, and by his wounds, we have been healed. And what my friend did for me that day is exactly what Jesus did for us. The beauty of the gospel is that Jesus took the punishment that every single one of us deserved to take. The one man who deserved no punishment took the punishment for us. Why? Why did he do that? Because if if I would have taken my own punishment, if I would have taken the punishment for my sins, which I have committed, that would have meant I would have spent eternity separated from him. If I had to pay for my sins, it would have taken eternity. Forever I would be removed from the presence of God. But God loved us too much to allow that to happen. Like, that's the beauty of it. That, that's why we celebrate the cross. Because God loved us so much, he would not let us be removed from him for all eternity. So Jesus came. So Jesus came. And when he came, he came as a poor child born into a manger. Now, how could it be that Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, the creator of everything. Scripture tells us that Christ created everything and everything was created for him. How could it be that Jesus, God, would be born into a poor family? Why be born into such poor circumstances? Why would he allow that? Why? I want to go over four principles on contentment that Jesus was able to grasp. And these four uh, principles on contentment, I believe if you just grabbed half of them, it would dramatically change the way you see your money problems. Four principles on contentment. And I will say this before we get into the four principles on contentment that we see Jesus living out. Let me say this. I want to encourage you to take notes. I want to encourage you to take notes on the back of your program or on your cell phone. Take notes. I remember in college, I worked for this really, really neat guy. Great boss. Great boss. And, and he would tell me these things. He would teach me these lessons. He would give me a to-do list uh, for the day or for the week. And then a few hours later, I, I would forget it. I'd forget it. And I'd go back and I'd ask him. I'd say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. What was that? What was that internet password? What was it that you wanted me to do? What was that little saying you said earlier? And then at one point, I remember he looked me in the eyes and he said, Tim, a short pencil has a long memory. And the reality is, if you you do not write these things down, you will forget before you sit down at lunch. So I want to encourage you, please write these down. Let's look at the four principles of contentment that we see from Jesus. Number one, Jesus kept the main thing, the main thing. Jesus kept the main thing, the main thing. In John chapter 4, we see a beautiful story of Jesus at the well with the Samaritan woman. If you grew up in church, this is a story you've probably heard many times. And something really fascinating happened. Well, a lot of things fascinating happened, but one thing that's relevant for our story right now. After Jesus has spoke to this woman, it says that a woman went back into the village, and then we know from later verses that she, basically she was gathering a crowd. She was telling people about the Christ that she just found at the well, she was gathering a crowd, and then the crowd was going to come out and speak to Jesus. We know that from later in the text. But in between the Samaritan woman leaving and bringing the crowd back with her, we see another set of characters walk onto the scene. We see the disciples. Jesus' disciples arrive at Jesus. And if you really want to paraphrase what happened in John chapter 4, the disciples tell Jesus, You need a lunch break. You need a lunch break. 
You need to stop and eat something for a minute. And ordinarily, that's probably really, really good advice. But Jesus knew something. Jesus knew he had work to do. And in chapter 4, verse 34, this is what Jesus says to his disciples after they told him to take a lunch break. Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus' food is to do the will of the Father who sent him and to finish the Father's work. Is that the kind of attitude you have? I mean, for those of us who follow Christ here, you'd be willing to give up lunch break to do the will of him who sent you? When you stay focused on the mission God has called you, you will realize you don't need half the things you thought you needed. When we stay focused on the mission, the purpose God has called us to, you're going to realize half those things you thought you needed, you didn't need. You know the scripture teaches us very little about Jesus' possessions? We know very little about Jesus' house. We know very little about his clothes. We know very little of anything about his vacations or his clothes. Now, don't answer this out loud, but why do you think that's the case? Well, A, it's played a very small part in his life. Or two, he didn't have those things. Again, I'm not saying there's not places for those things, but they were a very minor part in the story of Jesus. And here's the reality. Many of us have money problems because we spend good money on things that Jesus provides a better solution to for free. A lot of us, we have money problems because we spend good money on things that Jesus provides a better solution to for free. Jesus has called us to a mission and to a purpose Every single one of us, even those of you who have not surrendered your lives to Jesus, Jesus has called you to a mission to make much of him in this earth. And when we are living our life apart from the mission that Jesus has given us, we try to fill that hole with things. God has called us to an adventurous story, to meaning and purpose, to live our lives for something greater. And when we are not doing those things, we try to buy things to fill that hole. We spend enormous amounts of money trying to gain status, respect, meaning, joy, and security. Ironically, Jesus offers all of these things for free. Many of us we are spending money looking for a purpose. We are spending money looking for happiness. And as it turned out, looking for happiness in all the wrong places is quite expensive. Looking for happiness, looking for purpose in the wrong place is expensive. So number one, Jesus stayed focused on the mission God gave him. He kept the main thing the main thing. And it's good advice for us too. Number two, Jesus realized the Father was enough. Jesus realized the Father was enough. Jesus did not look to things, to possessions, to satisfy him. 
Now, we actually see a beautiful story from Philippians 4, 11 through 13. Philippians 4, 11 through 13 of the Apostle Paul living this out. Apostle Paul shows us what this is about. And I love talking about Philippians 4, 13 because I really believe most of us think that Jesus gave us that Bible verse to show us how to win football games. That's not why he gave us that verse. It actually talks about contentment. Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, is about contentment, not breaking tackles. Now, if you try to tackle me, I might quote Philippians 4.13 as I spin away too, but that's not what it was about. Philippians 4.11-13. I am not saying, I'm sorry, I'm just mental image of me breaking a tackle. Okay, I'm not saying this because I am in need. For I have learned to be content with whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Culture says we need all the right things to be happy. Culture says we need all the right things to be happy. We need those right vacations. We need the right houses. We need the right cars. We need the right clothes. We need Netflix, uh, the, um, the, the, the 4K version of Netflix. And we definitely, definitely need Spotify Premium. Now, I actually do need that, but that's a different story. No, I'm just kidding. Like, 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 like culture, it tells us those things. Like we need those things to be happy. Now, religion, on the other hand, tells us something very different. Religion says we need to do all the right things. If we do all the right things, then God will give us lots of things that will make us happy. Now, many of us, even in a church, those of us who grew up in a church, we're thinking, yep, that's right, that's right, that's right, that's right. If we do all the right things, God will give us all the right things. He'll give us lots of things to be happy with. If you somewhat agree with that statement, I, I want to ask you to just to check something on that. That is, that is not right. That is not right. That's not what biblical teaching tells us, that if we do all the right things, then God is going to give us a lot of cool things, then we will be happy. That's what religion will tell you. But the gospel says something dramatically different. The gospel says, Christ did all the right things on my behalf. Christ did all the right things on my behalf. Through this and my faith in him, I have been made right with God. Because of this, I have been given a happiness and a contentment that cannot be stripped away from me. That's what the gospel says. The gospel says that Jesus did all the right things on our behalf when we couldn't do those things. And because of that and because of our faith in him, we have been given a happiness that cannot be stripped from us. Jesus did not need the Father and something else to be content. Jesus only needed the Father. And the same is true for you. The same is true for you. The Father is enough. Number three, Jesus knew the Father would provide exactly what he needed when he needed it. Jesus knew this, that the Father would provide exactly what he needed when he needed it. In Matthew 6, 31 through 33, Matthew 6, 31 through 33, the Sermon on the Mount, it says, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. 
but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Any Lord of the Ring fans in here? Come on. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Lord of the Rings. There's this beautiful scene. Uh, there's this beautiful scene. And I, I, I remember the first time I ever heard it and I've not forgot it since. Frodo Baggins is asking Gandalf a question. Frodo Baggins is asking Gandalf, Gandalf, why are you late? Gandalf was supposed to arrive to this thing and with a little sparkle in his eye. It was a, it was a joke because it was a kind of a fun thing anyways. But, but, uh, uh, but uh, Gandalf says this. He says, a wizard is never late nor is he early. He arrives precisely when he means to. He arrives precisely when he means to. Do you believe that's true about God? Boy, sometimes we wish God would be a little bit early. But he is never late. He arrives precisely when he means to. And Jesus knew that. Jesus knew that. Number four. Jesus knew his prize was coming. The fourth principle that Jesus grasped that led to contentment, was that Jesus knew his prize is coming. The first part of Hebrews 12, verse 2, says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. Uh, anybody here like uh, food? Yeah, okay, all right, I was, just, I was actually just seeing who's listening. Um, show, show a picture if you have it of one of my favorite foods. Uh, all right, here's the thing. If somebody said, Tim, uh, you can no longer eat food, you have to starve to death. Uh, I, I would not be able to do that on my own free will. Like, there's, like, you'd have to take the food away from me, and I think all of us would agree with that. None of us could just completely end eating food. It's because of my love of uh, these bad boys, which unfortunately, if you take the back roads, you can get from the office to Krispy Kreme in about a minute and a half. Um, but, uh, so, uh, but because of these, because of hamburgers, because of all the foods we love, we couldn't just give it up. But here's what I can do. I can give up all food for a day. If that meant me carrying out the will of God, I could give up all food for a day for the sake of prayer and fasting. I can do that. In fact, I can actually do it really easily. And my guess is, unless you've got some sort of special circumstance, like my guess is you could too. I mean, biologically, we know we could go 30 to 40 days without eating if we had to, but quite easily I could give up food for one day. Now, why is it that we can give up food for one day? Well, it's because we know that after that one day we can begin eating. I can give up food for 24 hours for the sake of prayer. I can do that because I know after 24 hours, I'm driving down to Bojangles. I'm getting a chicken filet biscuit, add cheese, bow rounds, and probably a Mountain Dew. I can, I, I can give up certain comforts for a time because I know Bojangles is around the corner. I can do that. I can do that. It's the same thing. This is what the, Christ understood this. Christ understood. It said, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus was willing to go through the cross because he knew his reward was coming. It was the joy that was before him 
that allowed him to go through the cross. Jesus recognized that his greatest treasure was not down here on earth. So he was able to give up many of these creature comforts and luxuries because he knew his reward was coming. It's the same thing for us. It's the same thing for us. We are able to give up for a short period of time certain comforts and luxuries because we know that our true reward is not here, but rather in the life to come. And Jesus understood that. Jesus understood that. And when we begin looking to Jesus, we find that we become oddly content. When we start looking to Christ, when we start running after Christ, we find that we become oddly content. To quote the old, the old hymn, Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Is it just me? Am I the only one that the faster I run towards Christ, the faster I run towards Christ, the more boring the things of this world look? Am I the only one on that? That the faster I run towards Christ, the more the things of this earth actually seem to kind of bore me. And don't get me wrong, I mean, I'm just like anyone else. I can stop running after Christ, right? Like I can be running, I see something to the side, and I can just start walking towards Jesus. But when I'm running towards Christ, this all right here, it's a blur. It's a blur. And as we find ourselves running after Christ who loved us and gave himself up for us, we find ourselves becoming content with whatever we have been given or not given. And as we become content, we stop wasting money. Or at the least, we do not waste it the way we used to. When we're content, we don't have to keep up with the Joneses. We don't have to have the nicest house or car or clothes or vacations. Why? Because we're focused on Jesus and it makes us content because we remember that Jesus remembered. We remember what Jesus remembered. And that is that we've been given a mission to stay focused on. The Father is enough. We will receive what we need when we need it. And our real treasure, it is not here, but it is in heaven. And that day is coming. When we grasp this, we become content with whatever situation we find ourselves in. And even when things are tight, even when I do lose my income or a big unexpected bill comes in, even when I have to take several showers in one week, I know the Father is in control and he will give me just what I need when I need it. Matthew chapter 6, as we just read, a paraphrase, you could say, Jesus is overhearing people nervous about having the necessities of life, the necessities, and Jesus says, your father loves you, run after him first, and he will give you all that you need. So the four principles from today, four principles. Let's be doers of God's word. Let's remember what my friend did for me and remember that in so much more Christ did that for us. He took the punishment for us. Let it melt our hearts. Let us be a doer of God's word, not just a hearer. Four principles. Let's go do them this week. Keep on mission. Know the Father is enough. Know the Father will provide what you need when you need it. And know your reward is waiting for you. Could it be that looking to Jesus is actually the end of our money problems?